Good morning. Good to be with you this morning with our snow finally here. So I enjoy the snow, so sorry for those of you who don't. But it did wait till December this year, so, so that was, you know, that was a blessing for us. Normally we get it before then. Last week, if you were here, we started a series called A Christmas Carol, and just really dealing with different issues that we go through really around Christmas time, but also not just designated to Christmas, but sometimes they seem to be highlighted during the Christmas season. And last week, Pastor John spoke on loneliness and and how this time of year can sometimes be hard because of lost loved ones, because of different issues that come up. And, And today, I'm going to be speaking on the whole idea of materialism and how, especially this time of year, we can really get caught up in that, but how that can be an issue that is part of our life all of the time and and each and every day. And we can be into that mode where we have to have the new thing, the best thing, and the list goes on and on and on. As I was trying to figure out, you know, what to do for this, I was thinking about, because one of the, sometimes a materialism, a possession is is our clothing and and what we wear, and we look at people and maybe say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm a little bit better than... They are because of how I'm dressed. And so I was going to preach in a shorts and a T-shirt this morning to kind of prove that point. But then because of how they have these spotlights, I thought you guys would all be done in by the glare off of my white legs. So I decided not to do that. So you guys have been spared of, of that great experience this morning. Um, but as we get into this, I don't know if you remember it in, in the story of, of A Christmas Carol, that movie. There's so many great um, Christmas movies. There, there's funny ones. There's classics. A Christmas Carol is one of the classics. But materialism is, is throughout that. Scrooge, everything is about money and, and about having more wealth, about not giving money away. And, and that was his whole life, and it had turned him into a very bitter, bitter person. And he just wasn't satisfied, and he always wanted more. And, and that's what we're going to look at. Well, this morning, to get us kind of awake and moving, we're going to do an audience participation game. Okay? It's an honesty game is what it's called. And so the first thing is by raise of hands, how many of you hate honesty? Partic- er, honesty. Um, you probably hate honesty. <laughs> how many of you hate audience participation games? By show of hands. All right. Well, we're doing it anyways. Okay? So... It's going to happen, and we're going to do it. And you're just going to raise your hand when, when I do the statement. Okay? Um, how many of you, and, and some of them are simple, and then they get tougher. How many of you are satisfied with your cell phone coverage? Okay. Now we're going to switch it up. Okay? How many of you are not satisfied with your financial situation? Okay. Now we're going to get a little bit harder, okay? So I'll let you opt out of these since you're supposed to be honest, but I'd appreciate it if you guys would be honest, but that's up to you. How many of you are not satisfied with your body? I'll raise my hand. Okay. How many of you, it's a little tougher, are not satisfied with your parenting? Now you have to suffer. Last one. You don't have to sweat too much more. How many of you 
are not satisfied with how you are living your life. Okay, there's some honest people in here. Not saying the rest of you aren't honest and aren't raising your hand. Okay. In 1965, a musician wrote a song and had the words in it, I can't get no satisfaction. I was going to sing that for you this morning, but it wouldn't have gone very, very well. And it seems like there's this constant strive for people to get satisfaction. And, and so many times it's through different things. And I don't know where you at are at this morning. Maybe you're striving through your job to get satisfaction. Maybe you're striving to have the next biggest plasma 3D 75-foot wide TV um, in your house for satisfaction. You know, I, I don't know what it is, but we, we strive for so many things that we think, you know what, if I just had this, if I maybe made a little bit more money, if I maybe had this, I would be satisfied. And I want you to understand this morning that this isn't going to be a sermon against being wealthy. This isn't going to be a sermon against having things. Because in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's if that's the only thing you're striving for, if that's where you're trying to find meaning, if that's where you're trying to find satisfaction, then there is something wrong with that. So I want to make sure you understand that from, from the get-go in, in what I am saying. Will you pray with me? Father, I come before you this morning and just ask that as we get into this whole issue of materialism and, and what that means and how that can get a hold of our lives, that uh, you would be here, that you would speak, that you would move, that you would give me your words to say. I pray that I wouldn't get in the way of anything that you would do here this morning, Lord. And we ask this all in your precious name. Amen. As I was thinking about this whole issue of, of materialism and, and looking at Scripture, a, a person came to mind who, who dealt with this, and that person was King Solomon. If you've ever read, how many of you have, have read the book of Ecclesiastes? Okay, a lot of you had. And basically, in that book, King Solomon sits down and says, you know what, I lived out my life, and now I'm going to write a journal about it, really. It's kind of like a, a diary saying, here's what I did, and here's what it's all about. And a little bit of background on him, when he first became king, he was very close to God, and God blessed him in incredible ways. But because of that, King Solomon started to get prideful, and he started to grow away from God. Because it was all about him all of a sudden. And on the outside, looking at him, he was the most successful man around in any way possible. Man, you wanted to be his friend because he had everything. He was smart, smarter than anyone else around. He had everything. He was wealthier. You wanted him to be your closest friend. And on the inside, he was just falling apart. And, and this is what we get to when you see in the book of Ecclesiastes, he opens it up. The second verse says this. It says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What a way to open up. Here's a journal on my life. Everything is meaningless. It's utterly meaningless. 
he had gone on about a 40-year trek, 40 years of his life searching for satisfaction. And he concludes, you know what? My life is meaningless. Everything I've done is meaningless. And I want us to look at this a little bit and look at the different areas that he tried to get satisfaction from and, and what he says. And then we'll see what he came in conclusion to. So you see, the first thing that he sought after was wisdom. Ecclesiastes 1, 16 and 17 say this, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. He became basically smarter than anyone else around him. But he came to the conclusion that, you know what, this is meaningless. Now, those of you who are younger, that doesn't mean, okay, I'm done with college. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to learn anymore. But he had made this a priority. He had made this, you know what, here's where I'm going to gain satisfaction out of. I'm going to become the wisest, the smartest person around. And that's where my satisfaction is going to lie. And when he accomplished that, he came back with, you know what, it's meaningless. I didn't get any satisfaction out of it. So he moves on. The next thing is pleasure. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. He tried women. He tried wine. He thought, maybe this is where I would get satisfaction in those relationships and that type of stuff. And he found nothing. He said, it's meaningless. So he moves on. In the next few verses, he goes into great and mighty projects. And here's what he says. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, Everything was meaningless. The chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Man, he had everything. Houses, parks, gardens, servants, women, wisdom. He said, you know what? It's meaningless. You know, as you read that, I mean, be honest. I think sometimes we think, man, I'll take his place. Sounds pretty good, right? To have everything. To be smarter, to be wealthier, to have more things than anybody else. 
Count me in. I'll take your place, Solomon. You know? And yet he gets to the place where he says, I had all of this. I didn't deny myself any pleasure or anything. But in the end, it was meaningless. It wasn't worth anything. I follow sports, and I hear this a lot from athletes who have all the money, who have everything, who have you know, incredible talent. And a lot of times you hear them saying in their interviews, man, there's just something missing. I'm missing something. don't know what it is, but there's just, there's just something missing. I have all of this, but... And a lot of times they try to fill that with other stuff, and that's why it seems like lately you see so many professional athletes making wrong choices. It's because they're not satisfied. They think other things can satisfy them. Just like what King Solomon did. One of the other areas then he comments on is wealth. In chapter 5, verse 10, he says this. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. So he addresses the whole issue of wealth that he had more than anybody else, but what he's satisfied? Do you find satisfaction in that? No. This is meaningless as well. Because I just want more. I just want more, and I just want more. And so many times we get caught up in that, that, you know what, I want to provide for my family, I want to give them this, so I get this salary, I get this job, and then it's providing for a family. You know what, it would be nice if we could do this and this and this. And you keep wanting more and more and more, and that becomes your priority. That becomes your goal. That becomes your obsession. And you're never satisfied. So King Solomon has gone through these 40 years, and basically he tried everything, but nothing brought him satisfaction. And now he's at the end of these 40 years, and he's looking back and saying, Man, everything I did was, was meaningless. All the wealth I amassed, all the wisdom that I had, all the relationships that I had, all the houses I built, all the things I did is meaningless. And I wonder where each of us are in that. Are we going, you know, it, it's almost like he kind of taste, you know, test, or test, taste tested. I always get things mixed up. You know that, hey, you know, I'm going to try a little bit of this. Uh, no good, a little bit of this. No good. You know, and, and I think maybe that's where we're at. Maybe you're down a road where, you know what, I, I just, I, more money, more money, more money. That's my obsession. I need to have this. This will help me be satisfied. And then we find out, you know what? I'm still not satisfied. What's the deal? I thought having this salary would satisfy me. Not. Or maybe it's a relationship. Or maybe it's having different items. You know, I went out on Black Friday in the morning. And I I like to people watch, too. But I went out to get some stuff, mainly for we do some all-nighters here at the church, and so I can get some good prizes at, at cheap prices. 
So, so that's what, why I go. But it's, it's amazing to see people, you know, just, I have to have this. And I will fight anybody for that, you know. And uh, there was one year where I thought I was going to see a fight over, over TVs, but uh, it didn't happen. The younger guy let the older guy have the TV, and uh, they went on their separate ways. But it's just it's amazing to, to think, you know, man, we need to have this. We need to have the news gadget. And, and there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but if that becomes, I'll be satisfied if I have this. That's where it becomes wrong. Because you're not going to gain any satisfaction in that. You'll just be like, well, you know what? I've had it for three months, and now they came out with a new one. And I need to upgrade. And it becomes a never-ending cycle. And so Solomon is sitting there. It, it seems like he's kind of just pulled over to the side of the road. And it's like, okay, it's been 40 years. I've done all of this. Everything is meaningless. What went wrong? And he comes to the point where he's, you know what? I've done all of this without God. When God was in my life, things were going very, very well. When God wasn't in my life, where things became meaningless. And he came to this conclusion at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 12, verse 13, he says this. He says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Let me read that to you again. He says, now all has been heard. Basically, he was saying, you know what? I've told everyone, this is my life story. This is what I have done. I've been honest with you. I've been real with you. I've tried all of these things. They're all meaningless. So you've heard all of this. And he says, here's the conclusion that I've come to, that you need to fear God and you need to keep his commandments. And that's the duty of all mankind. And in our closing time before we go into communion, I want to talk about what that means to fear God and to keep his commandments. I think with the whole fear God thing, we have made that too nice of a thing. We have made that into when you ask someone, well, what's your definition of fear God? You'll say, well, to worship him and to respect him. And yeah, that's part of it, but we're missing a big chunk of what that is. I want to read two verses to you and then get into a little more of this whole idea of what it means to fear God. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So right there you see that if you truly fear and start to understand what the fear of the Lord is, that's the beginning of gaining knowledge on who he is. And Proverbs 8.13, the beginning of that verse says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. There's this part of God that should cause us to be fearful. When you read through Scripture, when they talk about fearing God, a lot of them are talking about, man, I am terrified to be in his presence. Because he is an all-powerful God that if he wanted to, he could take my life right now. And it seems like for us nowadays, we have taken that part of who God is, and it's almost all but disappeared. And yet, 
you read those verses and it says, if you understand the fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of knowledge. If you truly fear the Lord, you would hate evil. When you read through Scripture, we serve a God who has wiped out total cities. We've served a God. I messed with this in between services and I shouldn't have. We served a God, you know, who said, if you're not going to be honest in front of me, I'm going to strike you down. We serve a God who hates evil. And I think we've gotten to this point where we sin, and that's something that God hates. And we just say, oh, forgive me, and go on our way. And we don't have that fear. And Solomon is saying, man, if I truly feared God like I should be, I probably wouldn't have done all of the stuff I tried because he hates evil. And a lot of the things I did were evil. And if I do them, I'd be afraid of what God is going to do. And that doesn't mean we walk around waiting for God to strike us down with lightning. But I hope you understand that the picture is we just serve a powerful God and we forget about that power. And I think so many times he is working and doing things because we'll say, well, he did that stuff in, in the Old Testament, in the Bible. He doesn't do it nowadays. Well, he does. And I think we just look over it. I think there are times where he will take people and put them into the hospital where he will do different things to make them understand who he is and to get them on the right track. I look at my own life. I remember when I messed up my knee in college. And I, I tore, you know, I blew out my knee, and I was upset because I'd probably never play soccer again. I had, I had to be home for a semester. I had to go through rehab. But the first Sunday I was back in church, one of the men that I respected very much came up to me. And he basically said, what sin is in your life that made God do this to you? I was mad. You know, I was kind of like, there's no sin in my life. I'm fine, you know, and just kind of blew him off. And when I went back home to my house that night and, and was laying in my bed and I started thinking, you know, my priorities had gotten totally messed up. Because I was at that point really thinking about, you know what, I'd rather go into coaching than full-time ministry. And I honestly feel that God took that me being up, laid out for almost six months, because back then in the 1990, when they did knee surgery, you were like in a cast forever and then had therapy forever. Nowadays, it's like the next day you're walking. Um, didn't happen back then. So I was laid up for a while, and it gave me that time to think and to get my priorities back where they needed to be. So did I believe God did that? Yeah. Was I mad at first that this guy called me out on it? Yeah, God still does those kind of things. Did that cause us to fear him? Yes. And like I said, it doesn't mean you walk around scared, but you should walk around and say, you know what? Because of this God who is all-powerful, because of this God who, man, rules the world, when I mess up, I need to fear him. And I need to repent of that sin, and I need to get back on track. But so many times it's just, oh, I know he'll forgive me. Cool. And, and that fear part is, is gone. So 
So that's a little bit of, and, and it's, it's hard to get that grasp around exactly what fearing God means, but I think that's just a little bit of, of what that means. We've been talking some about it in our senior high guys Bible study we have on Wednesday night. Um, and just, you know, what does that look like? Do we truly fear him? Are we terrified? Because, man, there's that element. You know, I, I really don't think, even though it's going to be an incredible experience when we stand before God, I really don't think we're just going to stand there and be like, hey, God, this is cool. There's going to be an element of, I'm standing before God, and we may not even be able to stand before him. We may be down on our knees. We may be flat on our faces and saying, this is way more than I ever expected. I'm terrified right now. And that's part of fearing God. When you start to understand that, you start to gain a knowledge of who he is. And the other thing King Solomon said was to keep his commandments. When you read through Scripture, there's a lot of commandments. And I just want to pull out one of the things that, that Jesus said. And it comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. And Jesus says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So one of the things that he says as a commandment, keep the commandments, keep God's commandments, keep the Lord's commandments, is loving him with your whole being, with everything. Are you willing to do that? Pastor Dave prayed about sacrificing ourselves. There wouldn't be any greater gift this Christmas season than to say, you know what, God? I haven't been loving you totally with everything that I am. That's my gift to you this Christmas season. And why should we even do that? We're going to celebrate that this morning. Why should we be willing to give our lives totally to God? He does the same thing for us. The very same thing. And so we should love him totally. And the other commandment that comes out of that is to love others. If you're truly loving God, if you're letting his love flow through you, you are going to love others. And I think that the greatest way is for that to show is just to be a servant of other people. And we have one of the best examples of that. In Philippians chapter 2, some of those verses read, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in humble likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. These verses there say that in our relationships with one another, we need to have the same mindset as Christ. And that's one of his commandments is to love one another, to serve one another, to sacrifice yourself to one another. But how many times do we look at the person down the pew or across the church or maybe in our neighborhood and we're like, well, they're a little bit different. I'm not going to serve them. I'll serve someone who looks like me acts like me. That's easy. 
not keeping Says to love one another. He didn't say love the person who looks exactly like you. It's all encompassing. And that's tough to do at times. But that's what he calls us to do. And I look at that and say, you know what, if I'm willing to fear God put that first and start gaining more knowledge about him and then start to keep his commandments? How does this tie back in? Well, if you're looking at that and that's your main concentration, this whole idea of materialism, it's not going to be a priority. Is God going to bless you? Yeah. But on the same hand, you're not going to worry about God's going to meet all of your needs. And the biggest thing is you're going to find satisfaction because all of a sudden, you know what? My life has meaning. I'm fearing God and I'm keeping his commandments. And and now I have meaning. Now I have a purpose. And this other stuff, yes, it's fine. I need it to survive. But not really. I could probably do without it. Because in the end, that is meaningless. So fearing God and his commandments becomes the center point and a priority in your life. And that gives you satisfaction, knowing that, you know what, I have a purpose. And that's where I need to be going. Now read those, those verses in Philippians, and it just amazes me, you know, that we're supposed to have the same mindset that, you know, God didn't consider equality, or Jesus didn't consider equality with God to really mean anything. Here's this all-powerful being. He said, you know what? I'm going to go down to this earth. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to take on their form. Whenever I really read these verses, I think of myself standing in front of a mirror and looking at my form and kind of thinking, man, he really humbled himself. You know? that he was willing, this all-powerful God, to take on my form and walk on this earth. And that's what we celebrate this morning. And he walked on it, and he walked straight to the cross and died for each one of us. And I think it's so appropriate for us to celebrate communion at Christmas time because it ties the whole thing together. That celebrating the birth of Jesus, but also because he was born, because he came to this earth, he was able to die for us so that we could have a relationship with him. And that's the greatest thing. The greatest thing. So as we go into communion, I encourage you to be thinking about all that Christ did for you and how he was willing to be born on this earth And then he was also willing to die for you. And how it all tied together. You're going to hear verses in a moment that ties that all together. And as we go through communion, as you read through the verses on it, it says to examine yourselves. And I just want to encourage you this morning as you listen to the scripture to spend time examining yourself and thinking, you know what, am I down these paths where I'm not getting any satisfaction? Maybe this morning you need to say, you know what, I'm pulling over. 
God, I'm giving you total control because you're the only one that can satisfy. I want to start fearing you, and I want to start keeping you. Pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for King Solomon and how he was willing to be honest and open with his life and where it went and the wrong things, the wrong paths that he went down. And I pray that we would learn from that. I pray that this morning as we go into communion, that we would examine our hearts, that we would be open, search and see, is there any area that we need to give in? We ask this all in your precious name.